plants or people meat. And so I'm just wondering if you have suggestions for things I should like. I have potatoes, sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, lots of forms of potatoes. Um, but wondering what other things you would have out if you could. Um, I really like Uncrustables. We can let the RD make an answer to that one. Um, I think I may have sent this to you. Did I send the sheet to you, Sarah, about building a fueling plan when we had our session? I have to double check. Okay. If not, I can send that over, but I have some ideas on there. And then um, sandwiches are a good one. So my husband did Subway sandwich during his like Nolan's thing. <laughs> and then, um, one time he did, when he did his, I see, I saw him in the background. This is one of my favorite memories because it's when I first met Kylie and this is how we became friends because I was watching Sean do this crazy schema event where he was basically skiing for up and down for 24 hours. But, um, he also ate a cheeseless pizza from like a small cheeseless pizza from Domino's. <laughs> Performance fuel. Fun food. So I think... I think the main thing is to like not just you don't want to do like fried things or like really heavy really heavy things but i would say you want to get a little bit of substance like a little bit of protein in there and you can have a little bit of fat as well but just nothing like um fried or anything like that and then dairy we we're avoiding dairy anyways i think for you so <laughs> we won't be doing yeah. a lot of cheese <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got this is all my gels. I don't know if you guys can see. Ooh. Everything set up for, I have it set up for 30 laps, which is 125 miles. So. Oh my god, that's so amazing. Take some pictures of that and, and share <laughs> that in the Facebook group because I was, I was just chatting with an athlete who's running the Moab 240. They started, we chatted yesterday, and they hadn't even prepared their drop bags when we talked. So, <laughs> nice work preparation <laughs> it's really helpful um that's so good another snack i've tried lately is um honey stinger makes cracker bars that are like they're like wafer cookie crackers that are coated in chocolate i've been really loving those like i'm a, i love sweets and you know i i think that those are pretty and they're like just over 200 calories maybe um, which is significant, but I, you know, I think the flavor profile on those, if you're the person that can like, and they are quite, they're somewhat rich. So, you know, mileage may vary on that, but I think they're super tasty because it's, it's very much like a straight up dessert. Um, also Snickers, people have enjoyed Snickers. I've never done a full Snickers during an event, but I've had athletes and I feel like you've done that on ski tours back in the day, maybe, um, pre-veganism. I like a tortilla with some fruit and maybe like nut butter inside if it's mm -hmm. a longer day. Yeah. Um, Vegan like chocolate chip cookies from Whole Foods. Yes. Those are good. Those are a good choice too. Yeah. Those, those are things excellent. are amazing. Dude, just 500 <laughs> no. calories like ready yeah. to go. No okay. dairy. I don't know. They're so good. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that they're making them thin now. They're not making the thick ones anymore at, at the Whole Foods. Okay, that's disappointing. I, isn't <laughs> that, they they might be like 170 calories now. It's not <laughs> enough calories. Pete coming in with a strong opinion on oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> I, I like an oatmeal raisin cookie. I, I definitely prefer the chocolate chip. Cookies. I could talk for days about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, we kind of wanted to do something a little bit different for this call today. And we were going to ask each other questions that we've gotten from athletes. Um, so like we picked questions that we hear from athletes that we thought would be best suited to ask the other coach so that people coached by Zoe can hear some stuff from TJ. And then hopefully, um, you know, Kylie can interject at points when she feels appropriate as well. Um, you know, sometimes I can be hard to stop once I get going. So Kylie, just feel free to jump in at any moment. And TJ can ask me questions that he's heard from his athletes. And we can just, you know, make sure everyone's getting like the best, most well-rounded information as, as possible. And instead of just covering one thing for the full, full shebang, we wanted to get a slightly wider breadth and depth of questions. Yeah. And we could subject Kylie to a RD rapid fire questions at the end. Just kidding. <laughs> we won't do Kylie. that. It's 820 in the morning. <laughs> we're nice. We're nice people. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll do, we'll do some questions. And then if you guys have comments or questions, uh, you can just put something in the chat box. Or strong cookie opinions. Um, cookie opinions. Cookie opinions. Maybe that, you know, maybe Kylie needs to weigh in on some of that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but uh, if you've got a question related to what we talk about or something comes up as usual, just ask. Um, we'll try not to talk for too long in that way. Oh, there's Ellie. I wonder if she's... All right. I won't get off track about puppies. Um, <laughs> They were yeah, being we'll really cute in. together. Do you want to go first or? Uh, you're a good talker in the morning. So I'll let, I'll give you the first question. I've already had three cups of coffee. Yeah, I'm way behind. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so something an athlete was asking and a lot of you guys ask about is, is cross training. And Zoe is like the master of cross training and doing doubles. Um, so my question for Zoe is how do you fit cross training in to your running schedule effectively? Yeah, well, like all good questions, I would say the answer kind of depends, but there's some like kind of basic principles not to like, you know, I don't want to ever offer up my training specifically as like, this is what anyone else should ever do. Um, but my preferred mode of cross training is cycling with some skiing mixed in in the winter. Mm -hmm. And the way that I like to fit that in is a way of boosting up my volume without increasing the amount of impact I'm doing a lot, particularly after my hip and back injury this summer, I've had to be careful about how much impact I'm putting on my body and cycling is a really low risk way to both increase my training volume without uh, increasing impact. And, you know, I think it's always important when athletes are considering how to incorporate more cross training into their schedule. Um, I think that it should never take away from running, right? Like a lot of people, it can be really tempting to just be like, well, what if I bike instead of run? I wouldn't promote that unless it's like an injury prevention kind of thing, because the best way to get better at running is to run up to a point, right? And so when you get up to that point of like, well, if I run more, it's not actually gonna make me better at running. It's just gonna increase my risk for injury. That's a really effective time to employ cross training. What I like to do in my training is I just do like 45 minutes of cycling most days. And you know, I know that's not super, that's not gonna be super helpful for a lot of other athletes. So the way I like to see other people incorporate cross training into their schedules is like, on days where they have workouts. So a lot of my athletes that do Wednesday workouts, that's a really effective day 
to cross train after you do your workout because of stress concentration, right? Like in our training, we either want days to be very easy or difficult. So like on your easy days, it's not as beneficial to go cross train because you're just increasing the stress without giving your body quite the same way to recover. But if you've already done a workout and then you go and like double and like either get a second run in or cross train that added stress, you're still, your body's still going to be able to concentrate it because or it's since it's concentrated, your body's still going to be able to process it and recover better since the next day is still going to be purely easy. So on days that I have workouts on my schedule, I'll also do a workout on the bike that typically mirrors my running workout. So if I'm doing like high end intensity, I'll mirror that in my bike workout and do shorter, more intense spin ups. If I'm doing aerobic threshold training, I'll do something more like that on the bike as well. Um, I never cross train after long runs and rarely on easy days. And I always give myself flexibility to drop it. Um, like when I'm on deadline at trail runner or just life gets stressful, cross training is always the thing that I'm like, I allow to pass guilt-free from my life so that I don't overstress myself. Um, and then, or, or, you know, when I've, when I was injured and coming back from injury, I used cross training as a way to ease back into training and take, you know, a little bit of impact out of my, out of my body while still getting some aerobic base building in. Um, and I, I just think like for, for most athletes, like the questions you should ask yourself is like, do I have time to cross train? Because I wouldn't recommend, and, or like, how do I fit in a little bit? Like maybe on a, you know, a lot of my athletes have a flex day on Friday and that's when I really love them to prioritize cross training. But for most people, even if you really love cycling or really, really love skiing, like I wouldn't, if your primary goals are running related, you know, it's pretty much almost never gonna be beneficial to like, to detract from running to pursue cycling unless you have specific cycling related goals as well. Chris also asked about strength training. Um, strength training is something that I kind of, that is, is pretty variable. I don't do a ton, but I do, I do probably just like a little bit more than TJ. Once again, given my specific, he does higher running volume. I make up for having less running volume by doing a little bit more cross training and strengthening in a way that, is tailored around my specific injury past and biomechanical needs and also joy. I happen to just enjoy strength training and uh, cross training slightly more than him. So, you know, that's like, if you don't love cross training and you don't love strength training, like do not force yourself to do more of it than is beneficial. And even if, or if you do love it, also don't force, do, do what is beneficial and what brings you joy. Uh, for strength training, I do like 20 minutes a day, not a ton. Um, and it's primarily focused around single leg strength and around injury prevention. Um, one of the biggest mistakes we see with athletes is trying to lift super heavy weights and then they get sore and that detracts from their running economy yeah. or it's not super functional, right? Like squatting super heavy weights is like not, unless you're working specifically on some sort of glute imbalance, that's just not a really good use of your time, right? And then if it makes you sore and that detracts from the quality of your run, you're undermining your long-term gains and running economy. This is, uh, we just wrote about this in a blog post and I'd urge everyone to check that out. But with strength training, I would say for most people, less is more. And if you're ever strength training to the point where it negatively impacts your running ever, then it's too much. Great. I think mean, yeah. that was good. I think we covered it. We covered it all. That wasn't super as rapid 
as rapid fire could be. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, we do have a, a related question from CT, so we could cover that uh, right now. Um, oh, and we should also, when you talk about cycling, you really mean working out on the trainer. Yeah. You're I, not actually getting out on the roads. Yeah, I, um, I love the trainer because you can go a little bit harder. And one of the nice things about cycling is you can go harder without the same impact as running. So to address CT's points, um, so the thing that's really different about cycling than about running is that cycling is more about power output and running is super economy based. Um, and there's really even like even getting out of the saddle and run it or like kind of it does kind of use your running muscles, but not in a way that's like significantly beneficial for your running. Like, yes, it is good, but it's not like, I would not expect doing out of the saddle workouts on your bike to be the thing that like takes you to the next level right. in your running. It can help, it can uh, help aerobically. And I think that, you know, sometimes when you, when you want to build strength in a way that can help with running, but we can't run as much as we want to because the volume could provoke, you know, negative adaptation or like we could, it could cause some kind of diminishing returns if you have injury history. Um, I do have a couple athletes who use the bike to build strength, particularly in the quads to support and help them work through knee injury stuff. Um, the other thing I think about some of the cycling workouts is if you're doing short high intensity work on the bike with lots of recovery um, that turnover on the bike can somewhat translate over to your turnover running wise. So you see a lot of coaches who are going to give athletes like 10 by 30 seconds hard with a lot of recovery, you know, three minutes or something on the other side of that. And doing sets like that, that can maybe benefit and help you when it comes to building your turnover. But there's never a 100% correlation because on the bike, it's, yeah, like Zoe said, it's all about power output. So you'll build strength, but, and that strength will generally translate over to running. But again, running is going to be the primary vehicle for getting better at running. Yeah, like cycling can make you a better runner and there are specific ways that it is helpful, but it is not as good for you as there's no replacement for easy running, yeah. essentially. Awesome. Thank Great you. Question. Yeah. And I should add, I almost exclusively do it when I'm injured. So yeah. <laughs> it's never been in um, addition with. Yeah, then actually I would say it's it's more beneficial when you're injured, like to do those like out of the saddle jogs, um, that can be super helpful because it does mimic some of the same patterns without the impact. But, you know, I, I wouldn't like recommend like, you know, once again, hopping on the bike and jogging out of the saddle for an hour is not as good for you as an easy run right. for that same, at, at the at same or similar effort, but actually running. Yeah, um, assuming that you're healthy enough to, to do a run on that particular day. And it's something that I've been recommending or a lot of my athletes who kind of want to spend a little bit more time training, but don't have the running history to get out there and run, you know, more than maybe eight hours a week or something like that, um, which is already, I would consider that a pretty good amount of volume. Yeah. Um, that getting a trainer uh, is a really good option. And it's nice to have that around 
if you do get an injury, so that way, uh, generally you can stay active because a lot of running related injuries, um, you may not be able to run, but you could potentially bike. Um, and so I see athletes who don't have that tool and I know not everybody's able to, you know, spend 300 bucks on the trainer, um, or eBay. has a road bike. Great place for trainers. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's kind of how you got your trainer. So, um, anyways, it's a good option to have around something to think about, um, in the event that you do get injured or you want to like do a little bit more aerobic volume or in Zoe's case, you want to get very specific and do some workouts. Um, well, great. I think for time yeah. purposes, we should move on to the next question or else we may, we may go long. We yeah. always talk too much. <laughs> um, so a question that I've gotten from a lot of athletes that I feel like I would love to have your specific input on is how do you find or pick out races to run? Like what does your process look like? Right? Like you don't just, they don't just happen. So what, how do you seek them out? What resources do you use? How do you decide if you're excited about it? Oh, cool. Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, primarily I go by what, uh, what my interests are, what have I been enjoying in training? And, and then I kind of seek out those, those kind of races. I just, I just Google or go on trail runner and look at their, um, kind of index of, of, uh, races in the area. I don't know. It's for, for me, it's, um, it's all about what is resonating with me and my training. So if I'm feeling good about climbing and running steep, I'll pick steeper races. If I'm feeling pretty fast, if a lot of my training's been on roads and stuff like that, I'll, I'll pick races that don't have a lot of climbing. Um, and uh, I try to go by location. Like, what am I going to enjoy most? Running through what kind of terrain for X number of hours is going to keep me kind of engaged and interested. And I think about, you know, if that speaks to me. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I, you primarily use the trail runner magazine search feature. I've been using that. I've been using that search feature a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, primarily just kind of going on, on those, those main directories, I think like us trail running association. Atra. Yeah. Atra they have a, a directory as well, where you can look up races. Um, Another one I like is trail sisters. If you go to their website, they have particularly, I feel for female athletes, a really great guide to races. And some of them are trail sister approved, uh, which comes with a lot of like guaranteed, they guarantee specific spots for women on the start line. If you've ever been a woman on a start line, who's been like elbowed out of the way by dudes who are slower than you, you, you know, the, you know what that's like. Um, so like they have race directors sign on to guarantee spots for women, um, menstrual products at aid stations, which is huge. And just like a guaranteed better experience for women. Um, and they also, I think the Trail Sisters race directory does a great job of highlighting female race directors and just a, a wide variety of races of all distances and on different types of terrain. And I would really, and men can use it too, right? Like those are races where men are welcome, uh, you know, safe space for everyone. Um, but I think having particular deference to the special needs of female athletes can be, can be really important. And I know sometimes there are specific hurdles for female athletes in terms of like confidence and awareness that um, having, having, knowing that you're just a little extra welcome is huge. And I, I think that's a great resource as well. I also like ultra sign up. Um, you know, they have features where you can like put in what your zip code is, how far you're willing to travel and what distance you want. And that's usually how I find races. I'm like, okay, March seems like a good time to race and I'll be in Colorado 
and I want to do an ultra. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people who aren't sure where to start picking out a race, I think that that is, um, I think that's a really great place to start, you know, know how far you want to travel, know how far you want to run and then search and then, you know, just click around and see what terrain is cool to you. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. It's all about kind of knowing where you're at fitness wise in your own training, maybe asking your coach what distance they think is appropriate for you. Um, that's, I never ask my coach what race I should do. I never ask him to research races for me or tell me what races I'm suited for. Um, this is an athlete driven process. 100%. I will ask my coach what distance, if I'm interested in a particular event that has multiple distances and we haven't had a lot of time to maybe lead up, like the race hasn't been on the schedule for 12 weeks. I think 12 weeks is how much time a serious athlete needs to prepare for an individual event that they want to focus on 12 weeks, weeks minimum. So if I'm outside, if I'm way inside the 12 week window, I'll just ask my coach, you know, what he thinks fitness wise is an appropriate distance for me. If something comes on my, you know, into my kind of arena where I'm like, all right, this is interesting. This seems to line up with what I've been doing training wise. What distance should you go for? Generally, he always tells me to go for the shorter distance because it requires less recovery time. Um, and it's more speed, it has more speed emphasis, the shorter the race is. So that generally fits with my training a lot better. Um, again, like if you really want to commit to a race, you should be picking that race early in the season and giving yourself 12 weeks minimum to prepare um, that's something that I, I really want to push my athletes to, to doing because it's important to spend the time working towards that individual event. 16 weeks, even better, especially if you're talking like 100 miles, 50 miles, 100K. Um, all right, next question. Zoe, <laughs> this is a tough one. You regularly work 10 hours a day at Trail Runner. I see it. I'm here all the time. Athletes want to know. They want to know how do people who work so much fit running into their schedule? Mm. I guess I'd, I'd first like to acknowledge the privilege of being able to work remotely, which means that mm -hmm. I can choose what time of day that I run, which is hugely helpful because I'm a morning person. I love to start work first thing in the morning. I don't love to run first thing in the morning. So I at least have the option to run and I usually run mid morning or at lunch. Um, honestly, like I let everyone I know, and I want also have the benefit of working at trail runner magazine. So people do like understand and are very supportive of me pursuing my passion at a high level, but like on busy days, I'll let people around me know. I'm like, here's the thing, my run, it's gotta happen. Right? Like any meetings like that are less than critical. Can we please fit those around? Like what I, like what my needs are on this day. Um, because like, I mean, I work with climbers and runners and people who are also pursuing um, what they're doing at a high level. So they, they understand. And I think just being like on my end, trying to be really transparent with the people I work with about what I need to get done in a day, both athletically and professionally is huge. Are you, are you planning ahead? Are you looking at your schedule for the next day and oh, visualizing yeah. so, openings oh man, and I wish starting I had it. to? Uh, so a huge tool, a tool that I really enjoy is I have a planner. I have Grayson Murphy, who's um, 
Kylie, TJ and I's teammate on the SWAT team and a professional mountain runner and an engineer. She has, I actually have one page here that I ripped out. She has a planner and it has one column that's for work and one column that's for training. So I schedule on paper out my full week, right? So I'm like, okay, here I'm doing a call with an athlete and then I'm gonna work on the podcast for these two hours and then I'm gonna train from this time to this time. And I always give myself at least like a 15 and 15 minute buffer on either side of my run so that I don't feel too, too much prep because it always takes me a little longer to get ready than I would like. And I don't wanna feel pressure to go faster on my run than I want than I want to, right? Like I don't wanna undermine the intent of my workout by just hammering a little too hard to get back in time for an art, uh, in time for a meeting or something. I think that's the piece that is most probably I, relevant. My days are to these guys. super, super scheduled out. Like I'm a huge, I'm a freak about using Google calendar. Um, <laughs> and like about, you know, also putting it down on paper and just like, you know, just trying to fit. And I, you know, I think a huge point of growth for me is setting better boundaries around work. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I no longer take my phone on run so that that way I'm not going to get interrupted with a call or an email while I'm out there. And when I'm running, I want to really just be running. Um, I also have the benefit of being able, once again, working from home, I don't have to shower immediately after runs and that helps me double. But I think like the biggest takeaways for athletes who do not work at trail runner magazine are schedule things out like to the minute, honestly, like, yeah. and hold yourself accountable to that. Um, you know, use tools like, you know, a planner that saves equal space for both your athletic and professional life and start to view yourself as a professional and an athlete, like take those things with equal seriousness and you'll thrive better in both of those spaces and cut yourself slack if it doesn't happen. Right. Like I cut, I had a run, we had a weird day at trail runner yesterday and I had to cut a run short and I did not, you know, engage in any guilt or self-loathing about it because that's just like what it you know that's what that's how it happened yesterday didn't cross train either felt zero guilt around it um and i think you know just really scheduling things out letting the people around you know what your needs are for the day athletically and professionally and just having the confidence to own that you're training at an elite level and that other people will want to support you if you're forthcoming about what your needs are and you know, sometimes, yeah, you just got to get up a little earlier. I don't ever, I love watching TV and I never get to watch as much TV as I would like. Um, I never, you know, I wish I had more time to read, but you know, to get things done in a day, you just kind of have to wake up and stick to the schedule you set for yourself. Great. I can I add, I was ah. going to say, I, I actually have a couple of athletes that were struggling because they didn't schedule their runs in and then they would get to the end of the day and they were just exhausted and mm. wouldn't run and they're having a really hard time so really we had to have a chat about you know prioritizing that run in the morning before going into work so i think that's really important like you did say that maybe getting up a little bit earlier having a reminder or something like remembering like your mantra and why you're doing this as well i think is important um because I think that if you get into the habit of just keep pushing your run to the end of the day, and then you then you end up skipping it often. So that was just one point that I, because I yeah. had a couple of athletes that were struggling with that too. Yeah, and when they I actually started scheduling it in and prioritizing it, it was, it made a big difference. So they weren't waiting until the end of the day. <laughs> 
the act of writing it down can be really powerful in helping yourself to commit to getting that micro goal accomplished. And this is something that I think kind of came to my mind um, in the conversation we had about goals a few days back. Those small goals that you do every day to help move you towards the intermediate goals and then your bigger goals later on, each run is a goal. Each day you have a goal to accomplish that run because it helps you move forward towards those intermediate goals and then the goals you have, the hierarchy of goals. I don't know if some of you guys are probably on that call. Um, when you think about it and you write it down, you are really reaffirming to yourself that that is going to be the time in which you commit to that daily goal, that daily task. So, you know, Kylie, I think that that's really important. And I have had a couple athletes struggling to like adapt to the morning schedule because of the same reason, like they'll push it all day and then work gets in the way and then they skip or they run harder or they run really short, which is sometimes fine, but in a few circumstances with athletes who are training for 100 miles, you have to actually get the whole workout in. Um, so, you know, some other tips I say, if you're trying to get out the door in the morning, prepare the coffee early, prepare it the night before, go to bed with your running clothes on, put your shoes near the door, like lay stuff out with you. So it's second nature in the morning and you're already ready to go. So don't make it a choice make it something that you're already actively doing once you get up because uh, you want to build the habit. Yeah. And I think like, I don't have that many pet peeves, but one of them is when athletes say their run didn't happen. Your run will never just happen. It's a thing you have to do on purpose and make it happen. Right. Like if you just wait till the end of your day, I've never had a day in my life where I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll just drift casually towards my run now. Right. Like you have to, pursue it with the same intensity that you pursue all things. Um, I would also say make lunch happen like that too, right? Like don't, for, don't, <laughs> don't just let lunch. lunch pass you by, man. You got to eat that. You got to eat that meal. Lunch is at equally, if not more important than getting your run in, you know, if you have to schedule your lunch in, dude, set a Google calendar reminder to eat your lunch, set a Google calendar reminder to go on your run, right? Like take all of those things as seriously as you would any meeting or, you know, Zoom call. And we can turn, we can bring that full circle back to the goals conversation we had a few years, a few days ago. It's important guys, eating well after you've done your workout or before your workout or for dinner, all of that stuff those are small micro process oriented goals that you need to engage with every day. It's very, very important to fuel your body. You just can't forget to eat. You can't just, you know, and sometimes you've got to just say, I'm not, you know, I had an athlete earlier this week who decided to eat a whole pizza before his run. All right. Think about that. Like, maybe that's pretty badass, but also maybe eat the pizza after the run and have the granola bar or something before the run because your stomach, you need to digest. Some of these things, you know, we really need to focus on them. And as you build the habit around it, we know not to go out the door on an empty stomach. We know to have a little bit of oatmeal or granola in the morning, a piece of toast with nut butter, something, you know, just to fill the stomach and the glycogen stores. So we're fueled to accomplish that next goal. 
And so each piece is like putting together a puzzle of the day. And when you schedule it out and you visualize it as this goes with this, eat, run, eat, work, you know, like boom, 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 uh, that can really help you to get through the day in a way that maybe makes more sense. Um, because running is running and we've got to get that training in. But on the other hand, there are many facets to your running life that are very important and nutrition and eating well is an integral facet to that, um, directly linked into your success is how you eat, um, and all of that. Okay. We should move on yeah. to one more question. We'll try to have time for one or two more. Yeah. Um, this is a good one. TJ, how do you know when it's time to take a step back in your training and what does that look like? Oh, good question. Um, I like this question because I think it's seasonally appropriate uh, because right now some athletes, myself included, are taking like off seasons. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you have a discussion with your coach based on things that you're feeling in your training, you can kind of determine whether or not um, it's time to take a break. Like every athlete should take a break. You shouldn't train 365 days uh, out of the year. It's just too, it's too much, especially when it comes to running. Uh, so one thing that I look for are patterns, patterns in my ability to recover and also kind of patterns mentally and emotionally. Um, Cause I feel like the mental and emotional side of and stress side of life really impacts my, my running and my ability to recover and my sleeping and things like that, which are like integral to having good training sessions. Um, you know, so for me, if I've gone through a, a couple weeks of poor recovery where I don't feel like my legs are working and I'm actively pursuing kind of nutritional solutions and sleep nutrition uh, solutions and things like that to get myself back on track. Um, you know, if I, if I'm not getting back on track after kind of putting those protocols in place, I, I will consider, you know, maybe taking some time off depending on where I'm at in a training cycle. So if it's fall or edging on winter, um, you know, those are times where you can really start to think about, all right, maybe I need that week off or seven to 10 days. I don't really like athletes taking more than 10 days off. Because once you hit that two week mark, there are some diminishing returns and you will start to lose some percentage points to your, like your fitness level will start to drop a little bit. Um, and we don't want to take too much time off because when we rest too much, we're going to lose a bit of the economy work that we've been putting in because you're not running consistently. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of athletes I coach, I like them taking the holiday season off. That's when I want most of my athletes to rest. I think it makes intuitive sense to rest during the holidays. So like late December, early January? Yeah, I like about like Christmas through New Year's, something around there, like a seven to 10 day stretch. Then you do a week or two of maintenance and you segue into like a low volume winter speed-based training for around eight weeks. To, to 10 or 12, depending on the athlete and what their future goals are. Athletes who, who are training for 100K in February or March or 100 miles early season, um, we're gonna have to have that rest in the fall a little bit earlier because we're gonna need that 12 to 16 week block of consistent training before the 100K or the 50 mile or whatever. We need to like look at that schedule from a, I guess, a, 
a more zoomed out perspective in order to to make sure that the training they're going to have time to train uh, and prepare for those events. So if like for me right now, I have a, an event in early January um, and I haven't been recovering well at all from my workouts. So I've, I've like decided after a few <laughs> provoked conversation with my coach that like now would be a good time to rest. Um, and so I dropped the race that I had on the schedule for next weekend. And, and now I'm, I'm resting uh, and trying to kind of get back on track physically. And I think that for a lot of people, it's important to be very honest with yourself where you're at physically. If you're trying to push something through, you've put in place the protocols that you need and that technically or most of the time really work and help you get back on track and start recovering well. Um, if those things are not working, you know, resting for a week and taking like a mini off season, um, I think especially in 2020 when we've all been experiencing kind of a a more constant low grade stress from everything, it can be really, really worthwhile. I don't like an athlete to train through 365 days without taking maybe like a week off at least. Um, and in looking back at my training log, I've, I literally have trained almost every single day except for regular days off since uh, this exact time last year with no break so it would make sense in terms of my schedule for me to actually take my off season now yeah is there anything like i don't for me if i have athletes that have like 36 to 40 hours of fatigue that they don't feel that they can solve with a good night's sleep or like a big plate of nachos i usually have them take what i like to frame as a bonus rest day yeah. what do you look for in your athletes in terms of like opening up that discussion around let's take a bonus rest day. Let's take a few days down. Uh, I think first I try to establish whether the athlete is extrapolating and taking, putting too much emphasis on one bad run mm -hmm. or if a pattern has actually developed where I can see maybe three or four days where they're, you know, conveying to me that they're not recovering well or that they're very fatigued or that they're tired. If I've gotten three or four days in the log of that, then I always make a call to first reduce volume. Um, and I mentioned this in the last call that comes, that's time at intensity first, um, because that's very acute stress. So we can take that away right away and it'll make the run less stressful. So that could be like reducing a Wednesday workout to just an easy run um taking strides or hills off a, a tuesday thursday or sunday run um you know maybe reducing taking tempos out of a saturday long run for example um because if an athlete generally with a little bit less stress can or a couple good nights of sleep can bounce back pretty quickly and we see, i see that a lot so i don't want to take everything away until it's completely necessary so like that's my protocol i start with the intensity and then if, okay, still the pattern continues, then I drop the volume. Um, so if say the athlete's doing like a six to eight mile run, I'm gonna drop that down to four to six. So that way they can run really minimally at four miles, stay consistent, go easy. It's gonna reduce the time that they spend out there, which should hopefully give them some extra bandwidth if they're dealing with some stress. So like they'll get some time back in their day. 
Um, and then also, you know, there'd be a little less training stress there too. And if that isn't going to work, if like the next day there's still like, I'm so, I'm really tired. My legs aren't recovering. I'm not feeling it. You know, then I'm going to give them, you know, an extra day. I usually go for two. I don't usually do one. Um, because I think for most people, one day off, isn't really a day off. You get, at least in my life, one day is great, but I'm not off until the second day especially when I, you know, used to work five days a week in restaurants and, and things like that. I never felt like I was mentally off until the second day. So I give people two days, one to like chill, bring it down the second day to really sink in and relax. Like a long running weekend. Yeah. And then, and then they'll, you know, and then we'll get back on track on that Tuesday. Um, and depending on what they missed the first week, I'll make a few tweaks to this, to, you know, that, that week's schedule. So they're not like, you know, if they didn't do a workout the following week, they're not coming back and like doing like a really tough workout, workout when they haven't run for two days, because that could be too much. Right. So mm -hmm. we want to, I really am into the idea of like easing into the week and kind of building the week, like a pyramid where Tuesday is easier, Wednesday is harder, Thursday, we come down the weekend is more of a pyramid too, where you know, Friday, you're, you're getting a cross training session in or recovery run and then Saturday stress and then Sunday coming down. Um, so I try to align stuff like that. I think I, hopefully that was a clear, yeah. a clear answer. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I do with my athletes. Yeah. I always have mine. Like whenever we get to the point of like feeling like there's excessive fatigue that isn't solved through once again, like, you know, having, you know, if you, if someone feels like maybe there's a nutritional need that's not being met, I'm like, let's talk with Kylie. If there's a sleep thing that's not being met, I'm like, let's reduce our volume so we can focus on sleep. And if athletes feel like they are nailing the nutrition and are nailing the sleep and there's still some persistent fatigue, then I pretty much like as a prophylactic, we'll have them drop a workout, maybe drop a day and just get in a extra rest day or like a maybe depending on the athlete, like a four mile run, um, just to really try to like, you know, address lingering fatigue because what you don't want to do is be forced if you're feeling fatigued for like days, just like keep slogging out yeah, workouts because hole, then. That's not yeah, good. you just end up digging yourself in a hole. And there's, you know, particularly with once again, athletes that are motivated enough to seek out a coach, we never want people to be like, oh, well, I'm mentally tough. So I'm just going to like push through because your training ends up being really counterproductive physically and it's just not good for your mental health either do we have time for one more question for you zoe sure i'll try to hit it in three I think minutes it's a zoe specific question how do you visualize and create uh your running calendar for the year when 100 miles is your goal oh that's like really easy i just always view my training as being training for a 100 right like and i feel like i love training for hundreds because it's just life training right like it's you know, I mean, aside from like some of the really key long run moments that you need to build up to something of that distance, if you dream about 100s, the cool thing about that is that you just get to always be training at a, you know, at a pretty good level, right? Like I don't really take time off to ski in the way that you do. Um, I maintain a fairly consistent volume all year long and I make sure that if I ever pick other races that they align with whatever my 100 mile goal is um i mean there's i think one of my favorite memories from this past year was we 
usually we get our runs done pretty early in the morning. There was one Sunday that was just super snowy, just like the grossest weather. It was just like blizzarding all day. And it, we kind of like waited around till the afternoon to see if it would let up and it didn't. So we ended up running in this like crazy gross blizzard, just like doing like a back and forth in this neighborhood. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like, I can't picture that many other people who are training for Leadville who would be as motivated to like be out here training right now. This is amazing. I have such a leg up. And I feel like that's the energy that I try to harness like all year round, right? Is like, how do I make every single run really clearly an advancement towards this goal that's like very emotionally meaningful to me, right? Like whenever even I go out and do like a four mile recovery jog, I'm like, hell yeah, stacking those bricks for Leadville. And I picture really clearly like, you know, sure today feels kind of hard. I'm coming to like the end of my long week, but like I picture like the finish line, it's like, you know, kind of it ends on a slight uphill towards town. Like I know that road, I know what it looks like. I know, I think what it's kind of going to feel like. And I try to channel that really specifically. What about specifically in terms of your running calendar and how you, you know, might organize some like lead up events and things like that. Do you plan that out ahead of time? Or yeah, yeah, you... yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing about Leadville is it kind of comes in with like a built-in, like I could do the Leadville 50, which is pretty perfectly timed. It's like eight to 10 weeks before the 100. Having a 50 is pretty nice because you can go out and kind of stack you know, you can kind of get used to the specific stresses of running a long distance and then have time to recover and go for the 100. So I always like my athletes that are running a 100, you know, everything's different during COVID and I've had a lot of athletes absolutely not do that and run 100 successfully, but I like to see a 50 or a 100 K on the schedule going into that 100 so that you can get used to the specific stresses and also the mental emotional space of being like, this is the farthest I've ever gone. I can do it. You know, um, I think that that's really useful. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend stacking your schedule too full, um, but I think having a couple key events, like maybe a 50, like, so when I was going into, hypothetically, when I was planning on running Leadville this year, I was going to do a spring 100K and then a 50K and then potentially a 50 before the 100. Um, none of that ended up happening for better or worse. And I just think, I think having a few race dress rehearsals, like having a couple opportunities to mentally and emotionally get in the space where you're learning how to communicate with the crew, learning how to plan your day, learning like all these race specific things is super important, but you don't want to show up tired, right? Like you're going to have a better chance in a race if you're better rested than if you're overtrained, right? Like if you have to err on one side, don't err on the side of like, you know, being overtrained. And that's, you know, once again, that's why you work with a coach, but just to help people like mentally, I think a lot of times people that are super motivated to run a 100 might sometimes kind of fall on the wrong side of that knife's edge, right? So we want to keep it always on the side of like being prepared, but not over-prepared. Um, awesome. So I like to see a 50 or a 100K in the lead up. Great, cool. Well, I think we just about covered it and it looks like there wasn't many follow-up questions in there. Um, but if you guys do have questions uh, yeah. later, let us know. Great. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, these will be available on YouTube. So awesome. For the rest of the team. And uh, hopefully you guys have a good weekend. Happy we'll, Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. We'll see you on Monday. Oh, great. Awesome.